All right, we are going to start a new series today. We are calling it Stone Tablets, the Ten Commandments. So we're going to talk three weeks on the Ten Commandments. This week is kind of a preliminary message talking about that, and then we'll cover the first four next week and the last six uh, on the third week. So, you know, this is a, a obviously an iconic teaching of the Scripture, is the Ten Commandments. Have you, have you heard of the Ten Commandments before? All right. Yeah. Could you could you say them? I mean, just in your mind, just see how far you can get. Can you get to ten? You know, just just real quick. All right. Now, do you do all ten? It doesn't really matter if we know about. Yes, there are ten commandments, and those are very good. And you know, maybe we put a poster in our front yard with the ten commandments. And if you can list them, that's okay. But if you can do them. That's what's going to make the difference. What would this world be like if everyone on the planet just followed the Ten Commandments? What would the world be like? It would be a completely different reality than what we see right now if just the people on the planet followed the Ten Commandments. These are very important, very key teachings in the Scriptures. It's basically the Old Testament precursor to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. It's basically, he's fulfilling the law, and he references a lot of Ten Commandment-type teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. So we are going to get into the Ten Commandments, but we're going to get there kind of in a roundabout way. We're going to go through another commandment that's no longer popular, in today's world. It's fallen out of vogue in the church, but it's something that's in the scriptures over a hundred times and is very, very key, but also can be difficult to understand and really get a grasp of. So this commandment that we're going to go through to get to the Ten Commandments is simply the command to fear the Lord. We are called in the scriptures to fear the Lord. And again, it's fallen out of vogue. You're not going to hear a whole lot of Christian songs about fearing the Lord. You know, I mean, it's it's not going to be there. Just isn't part of our our modern culture. And I think that's simply because some decades back it was hammered on a little too hard. You know, it was all about how angry God was with you and how much he didn't like you and you had better be terrified of God because he's about ready to destroy you. And that created a misunderstanding of the character of God. And so since it got hammered too hard, then the pendulum has swung the other way and now Jesus is just a cute little enabler and it doesn't matter what you do. And, and now we're way over here. And the reality is, is we need to understand what the command to fear the Lord means and understand how that affects our relationship with God and understand the healthy concept of fearing the Lord. So let's look at a few of the examples. I've got five examples, two Old Testament, three New Testament examples of fearing the Lord. So let's go to Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs 1 7 simply says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So, how many people want knowledge? Knowledge of the things of God, knowledge in general. This says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So, if you don't get the beginning of something down, you don't get very far into that thing. So, if we want knowledge, 
It says here, the beginning of it is the fear of the Lord. And then Proverbs 9.10, jumping a few chapters in Proverbs, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is, it's like knowledge, except it also includes insight and understanding of the dynamics of life and, and those sorts of things. So there's wisdom and knowledge come at the beginning through the fear of the Lord. So that's interesting. You know, I, I looked up the word fear. This is, you know, in Proverbs, it's going to be in the Hebrew. And it, it really means to be afraid. You know, it can mean a deep reverence and awe, but it also could be translated terror. You know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a strong word. It's not just like, well, yep, should have a positive attitude and maybe think about following the scriptures occasionally. It, it's a strong word. Even, again, sometimes translated terror. Let's go into the New Testament now. Let's go to Philippians 2.12. Let's see what Philippians 2.12 has to say. And it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So here, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Philippi, and he's telling them, to work out their salvation, to continue the process of coming to know God and to serve God, to walk with God, to be obedient to God, to understand the knowledge and wisdom of God, continue to work that out in fear and trembling, taking it extremely seriously. You know, work that out with fear and trembling. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says this, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. So here, the Apostle Paul is saying, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. So Paul is saying that he fears the Lord, that those in his circle, the ones that are sending the letter to the church in Corinth, they fear the Lord, and that's motivating them to persuade people to honor and love God and, and understand the ways of God, walk in the ways of God. So we're going to go to Luke 12. I think Luke might be the most challenging book in the Bible if you're going to take it verse by verse and try to get a literal understanding of the book of Luke. Here's a statement from Jesus from Luke 12 that also hammers this point home. Luke 12, 4 and 5. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. So don't be afraid of people who can kill you. Verse 5, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's pretty strong. How does reading these verses make you feel? Like, this church is just edifying and wonderful today. Um, (laughs) You can kind of see this is heavy stuff. What do we make of this? What emotions does this bring up? You can see how people could take this and run with it. This is where people see these verses and they're like, ah, and it leads them to strong motivation. And then it can lead into, if you don't understand what's going on, into like a, a, a hyper legalism and like, oh, we better not make God matter. He's going to squash us. So 
oh, I better get every last little detail right and be really careful. Oh, watch out, watch out, watch out. And it can put us into a wrong relationship with God. But are these verses in the Bible? Oh, yeah. So we've got to understand what's going on here so that we can have a right relationship with God. But sometimes people's relationship with God can be sort of complicated. I've had people on several occasions, they usually laugh when they say it, but there's something down in there that's making them say it. You know, like, oh yeah, I can't come to church. I'd burst into flames if I walked into the door, you know, and, and they laugh and I think, yeah, okay, well, but you won't. You know, like, why would you say that? You know, it's funny and that sort of thing, but, but God's not wanting to burst you into flames for coming to church. Maybe some of the other stuff, but not for coming to church. You know, like, come on to church. He likes when people do that. So it's, it's safe and it's okay. But why would people think that? Why would they say that? Because they think God really, really is mad at them for all the things they've done wrong and that they're not walking with God. And so they're, they're afraid of God, but that fear of God is creating a distance between them and God. And that's the wrong kind of fear of God. We're going to look at Matthew 25, verses 24 and 25. This is from the parable of the talents. And we see here that the fear of the Lord isn't bringing knowledge and wisdom. It isn't helping to persuade men. It's creating a negative response. Matthew 25, verses 24 and 25 Again, this is in the the parable of the talents, so we'll just look at this real quickly. This is the one who was given the one talent who buried it. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So this guy saw the master as a hard man, taking advantage of situations. He didn't want to make him mad. He didn't want to take a risk. So he buried the talent and then brought it back. He was afraid to step out because he didn't want to cause a problem. But then that fear caused him to not act. And not acting then was received very poorly. If you're familiar with the rest of the story, the talent is taken away from him and he's thrown out. And so there, this fear, this being afraid created a problem. So we don't want to have the wrong kind of fear of the Lord. We want to have the right kind of fear of the Lord. And Jesus did say that we should fear Almighty God. But when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he didn't say that it was fear the Lord. He said something different. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 29. And let's see what that has to say. Jesus has asked what the most important commandment is. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love the Lord with everything you've got on the inside. Love the Lord with your understanding. Love the Lord with your actions, with your your strength. Love the Lord. Does that sound different from, yes, I tell you, fear him? So how exactly do we make sense of all of this? You know, it's complicated. I do want to read the next couple verses because Jesus, whenever he answers a slightly different question than the one he was asked, you want to pay attention. Because he wasn't asked, what are the two greatest commandments? But he knew that if he only gave the partial answer that that wouldn't be sufficient. So the first one, love the Lord your God with everything you got. The second is this, 
Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. So we see here that Jesus encourages us. He says the greatest commandment is to love God. And yet we are to fear God. And love and fear, they pull in different directions. So how do we understand this? Well, first of all, I do want to say that your relationship with God, I'm glad you're here in church this morning, maybe you're watching on TV, your relationship with God may be a complicated relationship. You know, there are people, they want to have a right relationship with God, but they feel like, man, I'm failing in so many different ways, so I don't want to approach God And there can be complicated things. Your upbringing can affect that dramatically, depending on what you were taught when you were young. You know, so many people's experience of God is just, I'm going to get in trouble. You know, like, I just don't want to get in trouble. I got to sit quiet in church. You know, like, oh, I don't want to do that. God will be mad at me. You know, and it's, it's just these negative emotions based on not wanting to get in trouble. And maybe that's the, the experiences you've had in the past. But yet, we're all called to that relationship with God. So you think, well, God doesn't really like me, but I, I want him to, but I'm not sure what to do. And, and it can be complicated. And so many different people have so many different complicated relationships with God. And I'm going to try to uncomplicate that with fear the Lord and love the Lord. And so believe with me (laughs) to get there in the next, you know, 25 minutes. See if we can get there. Because our relationship with God doesn't need to be super complicated. But let's, let's start with this. If you are an enemy of God, should you fear God? Yeah, you should. What if you're just not really an enemy of God, but you're failing God? Should you fear God? Yeah. So are there times when it makes sense for us to fear God? Where when Jesus says, you know, don't be afraid of those who can just kill your body. Make sure that you fear the one who can cast you into hell. You know, yes, fear him. Are there times when that's super appropriate? Absolutely. In fact, there are, uh, there are times even for the, the forgiven follower of Christ to make sure that we're doing this right. And we have to have a healthy like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, I mean, this is, this is well into his ministry. And he says, since we know what it's like to fear the Lord, he's still talking about having a fear of the Lord. This is a powerful uh, reverence of God, but it also can include, like, literally fear. I mean, in these modern translations, if they could have translated it a different way, they probably would have. You know, they would have said, since we know what it's like to respect the Lord or something like that. But this is a strong, it's a strong word. It's strongly stated. Let's look at James 3.1. This is a verse that matters to me a lot. (laughs) James 3.1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So what that means is that I need to be extra careful about what I say because if I say something wrong, that can affect someone that Jesus has died for in a negative way and it can cause a problem for them and I got to be super careful because I'm going to be judged more strictly. And I think that applies itself in two different ways. Of course, what, what are you doing right now? Hopefully, you are judging what I'm saying. 
You know what I mean? You are evaluating. Does this guy know what he's talking about or not? Is he basing this on scriptures or is he just making up his own ideas? Well, you know, what is, you're, hopefully you're judging that. You know, and then you're going to compare what I say to the word and you're going to study it out for yourself. You know, hopefully that's what's going on. So we'll, those who teach will be judged in this life more strictly for sure. But also, this clearly indicates that when, when I go to meet God, I'm going to have to give account for the things that I've said. So the, the question then becomes, who's a teacher? You know, who's a teacher? I would say there's a couple of answers to that. The first one is whoever is doing teaching. And it doesn't have to be in a formal environment. You can be sitting around drinking coffee and telling people the way things ought to be, and now you're teaching. And those words will be things that, that you'll be held accountable to. Anytime your sentence starts with, they should, you're teaching. So understand, you're teaching. Here, an interesting word in this verse is the word presume. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. That means don't go step into the role if you're not called to it. But here's another thing. If you're called to it, you better step into the role. Because it doesn't matter what you choose to do. You'll be judged based on what God asked you to do. What God called you to do. So if I decided, well, I'm just going to go start a business and not be a preacher, then I wouldn't be judged on how well I led my business. I would be judged on how well I preached, how well I taught, how well I led the church. And if I didn't even do that, I'm going to be in a world of hurt. So if you're called to be a missionary, if you're called to be a pastor, if you're called to be a teacher, even if you're called to do a small group in your home, if you're called to volunteer in kids' church, something, go ahead and do it. If God's pulling on you to do something, be obedient and do it. Because you'll be judged on what God called you to do, not on what you chose to do. You catching that one? That's the big one, because people will say, oh yeah, I'm not going to be a teacher because it says you get judged doubly. Well, if God's calling you to... You better do it. You better step up. It's the, it's the calling that we have, so we've got to do it. So, if we're called to be teachers and we bury our talent, that's bad. If people misuse the office, that's terrible. You know, like the Pharisees, things like that. When we fear the Lord, when we understand there's judgment, when we understand that God is, is watching and we're going to be held to an account, then that's a motivator. So we need to know how to fear the Lord. But yet, I spend much of my time, much of my ministry time, trying to help people understand that God likes them. You know what I mean? Like, that is what I spend a lot of my time trying to do. Help people see God likes you. In fact, He loves you. He cares about you. Maybe you did a bunch of stuff wrong. He's okay with that. He wants you to come home. I spend much of my ministry time trying to convince people that God likes them. So how do we do fear the Lord and God likes you and love the Lord and mix all that together? Well, let me tell you this. How you respond to God will determine how God responds to you. So if you run from God, if you rebel against what God has called you to do, if you reject the principles of God, if you respond to God in that way, then fear the Lord. But if you come running to the Lord, even like the prodigal son who essentially did everything wrong you could do wrong, and all he did to receive of the full love of the Father was just come home. He didn't prove himself in any way. He just came home. 
and said, I'm sorry. He got the hug. He got the ring, the robe, the party, the whole thing. Because the Father loved him even in the midst of his failures. How you respond to God will determine how God responds to you. So if you know that God likes you, that he's rooting for you, that Jesus has died for you, that God loves you, and he wants a relationship with you, then you're much more likely to go to God. Whereas if you're afraid in that wrong sense, like the one who had the one talent, you're like, oh, I'm afraid of God, so I'm going to go bury my talent, I'm going to run away from God, then that's very dangerous. So we want to run to God. And here is, I believe, the most powerful understanding of how to reconcile fear the Lord and love the Lord in the scriptures. It's in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. How many people rely on the love God has for you? Like not, I'm not relying on my ability, things I've done for God, anything. I'm just relying on the love God has for me. You know, we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. All right, confidence on the day of judgment. Does that sound different from fear? Confidence on the day of judgment. This is one of the most important things that we can grab hold of in our walk with God is confidence that the day of judgment is going to go well. This is a very important thing for us to get a grip on is that the day of judgment will go well. And here it says that we can have confidence. And what that means is that we don't have to walk around in this world wondering whether or not we're right with God. We can get right with God and then have confidence that we are right with God. And the way that you get right with God is just like the prodigal son. He didn't prove anything. He messed everything up, and he just came home and said, I'm sorry. Bring me back. Let me be like one of your hired men. He came home, he said he was sorry, and he pledged to, to be a productive part of the family again. So when we come to God and we say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, do you think God will forgive you? He's already paid the price. It's already, it's already done. It is finished. So the forgiveness is there waiting for you. You just have to go get it. Then, because in this world we are like him, then try to live a, a Christ-like life. Try to be a follower of Christ. Walk in his footsteps. Follow in his footsteps. Then we have confidence on the day of judgment. Now, verse 18. Look at this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Maybe you're familiar with the King James. Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So fear has to do with punishment. The individual with the one talent who said, I was afraid of you, he's afraid because he thought the, the master was going to come after him and, and be disappointed with him. And, and uh, he was afraid of punishment, but he responded by pulling away. And that actually was the catalyst for the punishment to come. And so fear has to do with punishment. And if we know that we're in a position where our sins are forgiven, we're walking with God, you know, we can be in a place where we're confident and then that fear of punishment goes away. Because perfect love, the love of God for us, drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I looked up this word, perfect. 
You want to know? This is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. You want to know one of the ways that the word perfect is translated in the King James? It's translated as the word man. M-A-N, man. (laughs) How is that? Well, I'll tell you. This doesn't really mean perfect in the sense of nitpicky, every detail sort of perfect, like how we might think of the word perfect. What it means is fully mature and complete. So basically, it would mean full grown. So like a man, not a boy, a man, full grown, complete, you know, full height, you know, brains developed the whole way, all that stuff, which <laughs> might be con- inconsistent with what, how we use the word man, but, uh, you know, full grown, all the way there, complete. And so the one who fears is not made complete in love, is not full grown in love. Remember, the fear of the Lord was the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. It wasn't the finish of knowledge and the finish of wisdom. It wasn't the completion of knowledge or the completion of wisdom. It was the thing that creates the motivation to understand that we got to take this seriously. we got to drive all the way into this relationship with God thing and figure it out so that we can be on the right side and that, that healthy fear of God is a legitimate place to be. And then we don't stay there because perfect love drives out fear. And that fear of the judgment of God goes away because we know that we're right with God and we're walking with God. And the love of God is something we can trust in. And the forgiveness of God is there for us so we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Perfect love casts out fear. Let's go to Romans 5. This gets into kind of greater detail in this. Romans 5, starting verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Jesus die for? The perfect church people. The ungodly. How many people can can fit in that category? Well, then Jesus died for you. Verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we go from ungodly now to sinners. Christ died for the sinners, for the ones who are are missing the mark. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. So here we're talking about being saved from the wrath of God. We should fear the wrath of God if we're in line for the wrath of God. But if we're saved from the wrath of God, then we can, we can rejoice. We can be in a great situation. Next verse. For if when we were God's enemies, so we went from ungodly to sinners to enemies of God. This is progressing. For if when we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The apostle Paul knew what it was like to be an enemy of God. The apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans to the church in Rome, to people there. And he said, when we were God's enemies, because he made it his life's mission to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Anyone who believed Jesus was the Messiah was a target for him. He wanted to wipe it out. Then God knocked him off his horse and straightened him out. He changed, became Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. How many people know what it's like to be an enemy of God? You know, when I was in college and I wasn't a believer yet, I would talk people out of their faith in God. 
because it was entertaining. And they had no basis for their beliefs anyway. So it was sort of irritating that they would believe such foolish things. And so I'd ask them a few simple questions that they'd never thought of and shake their faith. I know what it's like to be an enemy of God. Should an enemy of God fear the Lord? But is an enemy of God loved by the Lord? Did Jesus die on the cross for the enemies of God? That they could be forgiven. Not just forgiven, but redeemed. Redeemed and brought into a right relationship with God so that they could change and become followers of God. That's the story I have. I was in a place where I had better have feared the Lord. And when I met the Lord, it was a scary thing. But it didn't end with it being a scary thing. It ended with understanding the love of God, the power of the forgiveness of God, the opportunity to serve in the kingdom of God, and the future we have in the everlasting kingdom of God. It's good. Perfect love drives out fear. Yes, fear the Lord. Yes, run to him even if that scares you because he loves you. We rely on the love the Lord has for us. And then when we run to him, we receive forgiveness. We start to walk with him. We can have confidence on the day of judgment and not be afraid. It's a wonderful thing that God loves us. We need to love God back. He loves us first, and then we return the love to him. How do we love God back? That's the first four of the Ten Commandments. We'll talk about that next week. It's how you love God back. But now, we love because he first loved us. Our closing scripture is going to be from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, 13 through 15. Let's read this. Jesus here, he's, he's in his last moments with his disciples before he'll be arrested. And he's telling them very important things. And this is one of the things he says. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He's talking about going to the cross, and he's talking about his disciples. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. It is available for everyone to go from an enemy of God or just a sinner, an ungodly person, to becoming a forgiven child of God. You can become a forgiven child of God and then go to being a servant of the Lord. And you can go from servant to friend of Jesus. Isn't that where we want to be? Not just walking in the ways of God, but connecting with God, sharing the heart of God, having things revealed to us, not just told what to do, but we're in on the plan. Friends of Jesus, let's build on our relationship with the Lord and grow. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good. We rely on the love you have for us. We trust in your great plan of redemption, the synthesis of your justice and your love, knowing that the price needed to be paid, but then paying the price for us, satisfying justice and love. Thank you for redeeming us. If you're here right now and you, you need to know that you're on the right side of this thing, that you're forgiven and you can have confidence on the day of judgment, if you need to know that and you're not sure, I want you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, you, you know everything. You see all of our hearts and you see hands that are raised 
in a room with every head bowed and every eye closed. So, Lord, I just pray for that individual and maybe someone watching on TV. Lord, help, help them right now to say, Lord, please forgive me. Wash my sins away. All my shame, all the things that I regret, all the things that I feel like have created a, a wedge between you and me, you, Lord, and me. Lord, take all of that away. I believe that you have paid the price and it is sufficient that we can be reconciled. And then just pray, Lord, help me to walk with you. Help me to go with you. Walk in your ways. Serve you. Learn your ways. Be an overcomer. And Lord, I pray that you would give us supernatural confidence that those sins are forgiven, that that separation is taken care of, and that they can walk in confidence for the day of judgment. And Lord, for each one of us, Lord, help us to take a step forward. If we're in that place of being a, a forgiven child, but we haven't learned how to be a servant yet, Lord, spark that in our hearts. Is that the step we need to take? And then start teaching by your spirit the ways to be a servant. Lord, for those who are serving you, but, but they're not as in with you as they need to be, they haven't got to that friend level, Lord, spark that. Is that, is that what I need to be a friend, a friend of Jesus? And Lord, show them the way to get to that place. And Lord, thank you that perfect love casts out fear. But Lord, we honor you. We worship you. We revere you. You are awesome and wonderful and majestic and glorious. We yield to you. We worship you. Lord, you are so good. And Father, I pray a blessing over each one in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us knowing that you're on our side, that your joy would fill our hearts, knowing that we are freed and saved from, from your wrath, but we are welcomed into your kingdom. Lord, fill us with faith to see light shine in the darkness. And Lord, help us to fully know the fullness of your forgiveness and your love so that we can be filled up and made complete and that we can share that with the others that we meet in our day-to-day -day lives. Lord, bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.